please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. We have been journeying on through this book. We are in the last chapter of it. Today we will be considering verse 9. Our sermon will be focused on Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We will consider that one verse there. If you're there with me, hear the infallible word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment to the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people please us, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That is God's word. I'm going to make a prayer and then we will consider verse 9 there so please bow with me in prayer 
Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that we are able to sit and listen to your word. As you have just sung, Lord, we pray that you may speak to us as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. We pray, Lord, that it may indeed be that heavenly manner. Because your word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, we pray that you may help us to love it, to meditate upon your statutes. We thank you because your faithfulness endures to all generations and this is well seen in your word. We pray that you may help us to see it. We ask that you may help us to stand upon the appointment of your word. We pray that your law may be our delight lest we perish in our afflictions. We pray that you may keep us from forgetting your precepts because by them you have given us life for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We pray that you may help us now to be found seeking your precepts. We pray that you may help us to consider your testimonies and bow before them. We pray, Lord, that you may allow that we may love your commandments exceedingly and that we may give praise to your name as we hear them proclaimed to us today. Come, Lord, and by your Spirit, speak to us. May your word be plain to us. May your truth be clear in our minds. And may it be fastened upon our hearts by the discipline of meditating upon it. Help me to speak in a way that does not confuse your people, but rather helping them to know your will. Keep me from my own theories and stories. Grant that I would speak your word and your word alone. Bless us with your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are coming to the end of this section that we began uh, many weeks now that have passed from chapter 5 verse 22 down through chapter 6 verse 9 we are given the spirit filled life the apostle has begun the imperatives in chapter 4 he has now started telling us how to live in light of the gospel truths that he has given us from chapter 1 to chapter 3 and so in chapter 4, he begins by telling the Ephesians, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he goes on to outline what it means to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. He tells them that it's by being humble, being gentle, being patient with one another, bearing with one another, being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
he goes on to, te- to tell them that God has given the ministers that they may be equipped, that they may know how to walk in the faith, that they may not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then he goes on to describe the new life from uh, chapter 4 verse 17. He tells us how we must walk. He tells us how we must not walk. We must not walk as the Gentiles. We must put off our old self and put on the new self. We must not be liars. We must not be thieves. We must not embrace that sinful anger. We must not have that corrupting talk coming from our mouth. We must not grieve the Spirit of God. We must not be bitter. We must not be wrathful. We must not be slanderous, malicious. We must be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The way Christ has forgiven us. And then he comes in, in chapter 5. He tells us how to walk. He tells us to walk in love. He tells us to walk in light. He tells us to walk in wisdom. He tells us to walk by the Spirit. To be Spirit-filled. And it is here in chapter 5 that we find the context of the passage that we've been considering established. Look with me at chapter 5. Verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we saw there that their submitting to one another does not mean that uh, everyone submits to everyone, really. What submitting to one another there means is described in the passages that follow. That the wives submit to their husbands, the children submit to their parents, and their born servants submit to their, uh, to their earthly masters. It is upon that context that our passage is now coming to an end. We were told there how wives ought to conduct themselves. They are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord in everything. The way the church submits to Christ. We are told about husbands that they are to love their wives. The way Christ loved the church sacrificially giving himself up for her in a sanctifying way, in a beautifying way. Christ loved the church so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, in a beautifying way. And then we consider that the children are to submit to their parents. We are told that they are to obey their parents. We are told that the parents are not to exasperate, provoke their, their children to anger. But what are they to do? They are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Last week, we considered verses 5 to 8. And in in those verses, we are told the duty of the bond servants. The bond servants are to obey their earthly masters. They are to submit themselves to their masters. Now, last week, we saw that the people who are being addressed in this final section are people who are actually slaves. And people who are actually masters. And, and what does this, this mean? In the context that the apostle is writing this, there are people who are owned by masters. They are owned. 
and there are people who own others. So the ones who are owned are slaves. The ones who own others are masters. But then we saw that um, even though this is the context upon which the apostle is writing and he is not uh, dealing with the whole matter of social justice, telling the slaves to seek liberation. No, that's not what the apostle is doing. The apostle is saying in the state that you're in, be, be you wife, be you husband, be you child, be you parent, be you a slave or a master, in the state that you're in, you're to live faithfully, walking faithfully with your God now that you have been saved. You, Ephesians. That's the context with which he's writing. But then we saw that even though these commands are given to actual slaves and actual masters, they also apply to us because there's a sense in which we are slaves. There's a sense in which we are masters. And we saw that that sense is that there are people whom we work for. So we are slaves in the sense that there's someone who is above us whom we must do their bidding and we must do what they say. Because of that, then we are, we are slaves in that sense. Now, while most of us are uh, slaves rather than masters, as we saw last week, uh, um, some of us may be masters. Who knows whether God is going to make you a master uh, sometime soon? Who knows when God is going to do it to grant you the responsibility of being a master? Perhaps some of you already are masters in the sense that you have employed someone and they must do what you, what you say. Because of that then, the text before us is addressed to us even as it is being directly addressed to masters. Now there are, there are three things that I'd like for you to notice in this one verse that I'd like us to consider this morning. Look with me at verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I've recently come to be convinced that God did not write his word in a way that would confuse his people. The intention of God in giving his word through his prophets and apostles was not to confuse us or to make us not understand him. At least in the essentials of the Christian life, the word of God is absolutely clear. That's what we have in, this, in these passages. And that's not any different in this verse. Masters are spoken in a very clear way. I'd like to bring before you the duties of masters this morning. That's how I have titled my sermon. And in the duties of masters, we have number one, the masters are to relate with the slaves in a similar way. Number two, the masters are to relate with the slaves without threatening them. And number three, the masters are to remember that there is a heavenly master. Three clear, simple points. Number one, the masters are to relate with the slaves in a similar way. Number two, the masters are to relate with the slaves without threatening them. And then number three, the masters are to remember that there is a heavenly master. So let's consider those uh, uh, those points one after another. Number one, the masters are to relate with the slaves in a similar way. Look at that text. The Apostle Paul says, Masters, do the same to them. What the Apostle is doing here 
is he's directly addressing the masters. Now, look at verse 22 of chapter 5. He says, wives. And then he says, submit to your own husbands. Verse 25, husbands. Then he says, love your wives. Chapter 6, verse 1, children. And then he says, obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5, born servants. Obey your earthly masters. And then in the text that we're considering, verse 9, he says, masters. Do the same to them. And so he begins the same way he has been beginning for all the other groups. He calls them and then he gives the command. He says, masters, so that they know that it is them that he is now addressing. He is not now addressing the bond servants. He is not now addressing the husbands or wives or children or parents. He is now directly addressing the masters. And what does he begin by telling them? He says there, do the same to them. Do the same to them. What does that mean? The way the command is phrased here may cause some to think that the apostle is requiring the masters to do the duties of the slaves. But then a closer look at these words will prove otherwise. The apostle Paul is not telling the masters to obey the slaves as well. When he says do the same to them, he's not telling the masters uh, be the slave of your slaves. Rather, he is telling them to act with regard to their slaves in accordance to the will of God that is mentioned above there. The masters are to be governed by the same principles which govern the slaves. Now look with me at verses 6 to 8 of, of this chapter. Or, or just the, the whole passage from verse 5. The apostle says, Born servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Notice in verse 6, it says, Not by way of eye service, as people please us. And so, the apostle is saying, this is, These are the principles that I'm giving the slaves. These are the principles that also apply to you. You're not to do it by way of eye service, as people please us. But as born servants of Christ. And this is the attitude that the masters ought to have. That they are born servants of Christ as well. And then he says, doing the will of God from the heart. You see that? The masters, this, these are the principles that the apostle is laying for the, for the bond servants. And the, the, the same principles he's laying for the masters. He's saying, do the will of God from the heart as well. The, 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 the very way that I'm telling the slaves to do it, he, say, do the, he says, do the same to them. Live the same with them. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. In a similar fashion, with this same principle, masters, do the same to them. Render your service to them. Be with them, them who are your slaves, in this way. That you are with them in a, in a good will, with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man. Know that as you serve them, as you are over them, you, you are not primarily doing it for them. You are doing it to the Lord. And then look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. And what does the apostle finish there by saying? Whether he is a bond servant or is free. And that's, what, and that's how we know then that these principles apply to the masters as well. They do not only apply to those who are slaves, shackled, bond servants. 
they also apply to those who are free and who is most free than the masters in this case the master is the one that has slaves and so the master is told there to do what to do the same to them the masters are to live as godly before the lord jesus christ they are to live godly lives rendering service with a good will to their slaves before the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ-centered goodwill that is commanded of the slaves, the same is to be found in the master's conduct. The way the masters conduct themselves should be with that Christ-centered goodwill that the slaves are commanded to have. The slaves are, the slaves are told, you're not necessarily obeying your masters because of them. You're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it in a Christ-centered way. And that similar way of Christ-centeredness that is to be found in the slaves, the apostle says is also to be found in the masters. And this is how we are to be if God grants us the opportunity to be masters of our whoever. Masters, therefore, are to see their slaves as those that have been made in the image of God. They're going to see in the next place that they're not to threaten them, they're not to mistreat them. And if these slaves are believers, they should see them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And therefore doing the same to them. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We said last week that the apostle, following in the footsteps of his master, is not about the abolition of slavery as such. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these sentiments that the apostle is giving here, demand that the cruelty and misconduct that the masters are prone to have should be done away with if this command is obeyed the way that it should by the masters if the masters obey this command the cruelty the brutality that the masters have will be removed so that even though the apostle is not quite saying slaves run away get freedom and become free even though he's not saying that there's a sense in which he is giving freedom by granting the commands of God. Because where the law of God is, there is liberty. The law of God grants liberty. The commands of God here for the masters are not only for their good before the Lord, but they are also for the good of the slaves. The masters are called here to promote the welfare of the slaves as they expect them to promote theirs. Surely the masters expect their slaves to promote their welfare. The masters are called here to show the same interest to the slaves, to show the same interest to the affairs of the slaves as they expect the slaves to do, to render service with a good will as to the Lord. The idea here is the one we find in Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Two books after, look with me at Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. This is a parallel passage to the one that we find in Ephesians. So you have uh, rules for Christian households. Wives are spoken to here. Husbands are spoken to. Children are spoken to. Fathers are spoken to. Born servants are spoken to. And when you come to chapter 4 verse 1, masters are addressed. And the masters are told, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. And that's the idea. When he says, do the same to them. Render service to them with a good will. As to the Lord. The authority of the masters, therefore, 
is here yoked to their Christianity. The Christian masters must conduct themselves like this. They must conduct themselves as those who are under Christ. Those who are mastering, if you will, knowing that these are masters. We are going to see later on a heavenly master above them. And so they are called to seek the real good of those who are under them. Just as the slaves are called to seek the real good of their masters. By submitting to them as they submit to Christ. Now this is what is required of you. If you get the opportunity to be a master. If you are a master or in case you become one. This is what is required of you. That you do the same. You render service with a good will to the servants to the people that are below you if you want them to be trustworthy you do what you become reliable yourself if you want to be respected you lead by respecting them if you want to be if you, if you want them to be honest you become honest yourself you want them to be generous you become generous to them you show generosity to them and if you want them to have integrity you are to lead with integrity. That's what, we are, that's what we, the masters are being told here. That's what they are, they are to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm later on going to seek to show you that all these, all these commands, these imperatives that are given to wives, husbands, children, parents, and, and, and the bond servants and the masters, they are given so that the gospel may be, may be amplified, that the light of it may be shone in all the world. Number two, the masters are to relate with the slaves without threatening them. Look with me there again. Bible says masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. The apostle does not tell the masters, uh, does not, he does not only tell the masters what, uh, what to do. He also tells them what not to do. And this has been his custom, Right? He not only tells us what not to do, he tells us also what to do. That's what he does here. He tells the masters, do, and then he tells the masters, do not do. Do this and do not do this. Do the same to them in the sense that do your service to the slaves with a good will. Serve them by being masters over them with a good will as to the Lord. But then do not threaten them. Stop your threatening. Notice that masters are the most prone to threaten. Who, who else is better placed to threaten than the one who has power? Hmm? Who, who is better placed to threaten? Is it the slave or the master? It's obvious, it's the master. It's the one who has power. And the apostle deals with this matter head on. He says, stop. Stop. That word there means leave it. Let go of this sinful behavior that is called threatening. Do not threaten your slaves. Your approach to your slaves, your approach to your servants should be a positive approach rather than a negative one. And this is what I mean. The master should be more apt to say, because of all the service that you have rendered me, I will reward you in this way. As opposed to I'm going to punish you if you do this. And you know those threats that masters are prone to give. 
If you do not do this, I will punish you like this. If you do this, I will punish you like this. The master is told, do not threaten. Stop your threatening. Now this, of course, doesn't mean that the master should not warn his slaves. Or the master should not rebuke the slaves. Of course, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that that, that constant threatening, constant uh, uh, putting terror in the hearts of the slaves should be done away with for the Christian masters. The masters are commanded here to refrain from all the pride that comes with power and authority, the power and the authority that they have. The disdain that they are prone to have towards their slaves is not to be found in them. You remember last week we said that slaves are prone to have that disdain, that character of disdain where they hate their masters. They do things for the sake of doing them. And they are given instructions here on how they are to conduct themselves. Masters are also prone to disdain their slaves, to look down on them, to think of them as though they are not humans. Masters are not to terrorize their slaves. They are not to terrorize their slaves with their words. They are not to terrorize their slaves with their presence. They are not to manipulate them with these constant threats. That's what they are being told. Stop your threatening. They are to remember that these are people these are people that are made in the image of God. And if they are Christians, even more, they are people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as you're going to see, God shows no partiality. God has saved both the slave and the master. He has saved both the child and the parent. He has saved both the uh, wife and the husband. And because of this, then they are told, stop your threatening. If they are, if they are uh, brethren, even more why they should not threaten them. Because these are fellow believers. How would they sit with them at home during family worship? If you have a Christian master and he's constantly threatening the slaves or in your own home. Take for example in your home, you have employed someone to work in the confines of your home. You're constantly threatening them, speaking to them rudely, inappropriately. Treating them as though they are not a person like you are because you, are, you have employed them and you are above them. How are you able to sit down with them during family worship? Perhaps, perhaps, think with me. This is the reason why you get to Christian homes. And more often than not, where are the house helps when they are taking dinner? Where is the house help? The house help is somewhere in the kitchen or in the bedroom is they can't sit around the dinner table with the employer how will the employer uh, uh, with a clear conscience pray for the meal in front of the slave or the servant whom they have been threatening how are they going to do it they can't and so while the slave is timid in and of themselves because they are, they are a slave, they are, they are the employee, the threats add to, the, add to the timidity. And the master cannot have the audacity to call them. How would they sit with them during family worship? Of what savior would they tell their slaves if they are threatening them constantly? 
What gospel will they bring them? How will they take them to church? And the slave would want to see which church is this that this threatening master goes to. Or they, they don't even want anything to do with it altogether because of the threats, the threats of the, the constant threats of the master. How they sit together and break bread as Christians if they were members of the same church? How would they come together? You know that coming together that the apostle talks about there in 1 Corinthians 11? When you come together as a church, how would they come together? If the slave is intimidated by the, 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 the master over and over by, by the threats, the apostle says there, Masters, stop your threatening. Do not threaten. When you do this, you affect the gospel. You hinder the cause of Christ. The same way when the wives disobey their husbands, when the husbands don't love their wives, when the children don't obey their parents, when the parents exasperate their children, when the bond servants don't uh, obey their masters, they, they hinder the cause of the gospel by their conduct. And the masters are not exempted. They're told there, stop your threatening. The apostle here gives this command because slaves were generally helpless before their masters. And now to add to it threatening, it becomes worse. So then the apostle gives this command. And, and what the apostle is saying to the masters is that um, the slave is no longer helpless. Even though slaves are generally helpless, now they are not helpless. If you, master, are in Christ, if the slave is in Christ, they are not helpless anymore. They have a defender. They have one who defends them. God is by their side. And this is why then he gives them the next statement there. Number three, the masters are to remember that there is a heavenly master. The masters are to remember that there is a heavenly master. This is why the apostle gives them the next statement. He says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. See that? And so the masters are told, do the same, conduct yourself like this, uh, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, to your slaves. Do not threaten them, stop your threatening. And then the masters are told, uh, remember something. Remember that there is a heavenly master. The apostle plainly tells the master that um, there is a God in heaven. That's the point of that last statement there. That there is a God in heaven who sees. Go with me to Proverbs. It's a text that has just popped up in my mind and before I forget it. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. See that? This is after the, the wise man has, has said, uh, um, uh, not, not the wise man rather, but the psalmist. The, 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 the psalmist says that our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And then the wise man tells us here that because God is sovereign, his eyes are everywhere. He keeps watch on the evil and the good. 
And therefore the apostle says here, uh, God is watching. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is a God in heaven. It's as though the, the, the apostle is telling the masters, if you are tempted to threaten, there is a threat, a greater threat to remember. That he who is both the master of the slave and your master is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. The master is told, stop threatening others. And if you think you are better in threatening, let me now threaten you. The apostle is speaking in that way. God is in heaven. He is watching. He is here telling them that yours is not the kingdom. Yours is not the power. And certainly yours is not the glory. There is a master of masters that is in heaven. There is a master of masters who watches all things. There is a master of masters who is not partial. There is a master of masters who cares for his people. There is a master in heaven who has all the kingdom, whose all the kingdom belongs to, who, who has all power and who deserves all the glory. He is in heaven and he is watching. He cares for his people. So then, do not do this. Do not threaten them. On the contrary, serve your people. Render service to them with a good will. Do to them that which you, 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 you also expect them to do. Conduct yourself, yourself with the same principles that God has given them. The masters are here warned that they will give an account to the master of them all. That's what that verse means. Knowing that he who is in heaven is both their master and yours. They will give an account to him who is in heaven. Hmm? The great king who rules over all is going to require of them their conduct with their slaves. The master who is in heaven is a reference to him who is above all. You see when he says there, uh, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that phrase there means that um, he rules over all. He is above all things. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He sees all things. He has power over all things. He can do all things, even avenging for those who are threatened by you. He is in heaven. He is all powerful. Therefore, do not, do not do this. Do not threaten your servants. A godly master knows that ultimate masterhood, if you will, does not belong to him. He realizes, like the centurion, you remember the centurion who meets Christ? He realizes like this centurion that Christ has all the authority. That even though he knows something of authority, and, and you remember what the centurion says to Jesus, eh? I am a, I am a master as well. I have masters, uh, sorry, I have servants, and I tell servants, I tell one to do this, and he does it. I tell one, come here, and he comes. And because of this, then I realize that if you, if you give one word, my child would be healed. And so godly masters realize like the centurion that Christ has all the authority. That even though they know something of authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. It belongs to him. He is the master of the slave. 
And he is the master of the earthly master. You remember last week? We saw that interesting phrase there in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And Paul says that deliberately to show that there is a heavenly master. And because there is a heavenly master, the masters are told, remember that there is one who is above you. There is one who is above the slaves. There is one who is above you as well as masters. Listen to James chapter 5 verse 1 to 6. James chapter 5 verse 1 to 6 says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last day, days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the master of masters. James says here, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your, your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And what James is saying is, he's telling the earthly masters, know that there is a heavenly master who is going to avenge which is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Masters, render service with a good will as to the Lord, to the slaves. Stop your threatening. Do not threaten them. Live with them as those who are made in the image of God and live with them as those who are brethren or believers in the Lord Jesus Christ if they truly are. And then remember, remember that there is a master in heaven. And this master in heaven is not only the master of the slaves, he's also the master of the masters, the earthly masters. And oh, how a good master Jesus Christ is. The last phrase that we have there shows us that God is a good master. The Lord Jesus Christ is our good master, our good and, uh, and, and kind Lord. Because why? There is no partiality with him. The Apostle Paul says there, he is not partial. He is not unjust. And you've heard, you, you've heard of those masters in James chapter 5? Unjust masters. He does not look down on others because of their status. The Lord Jesus Christ does not look down on others because they are slaves. He does not look, esteem highly on those who are masters. He is a good master. There's no partiality with him. Jesus Christ, the great master, does not look at people's outward appearance to determine their fate. He does not look at your lifestyle to determine how to deal with you. The Lord Jesus is a good master. There is no partiality with him. He does not determine because you're a master, I'm going to save you. Because you're a slave, you will go to hell. No, he's a good master. There's no partiality with him. The apostle says there that this master that is above all, that is above the slaves, is above the masters, is a master that is not partial. There is no partiality with him. Now let me, let, me, let me quickly finish here by saying that all that we have heard from this context that we have been considering, in the text there that grants uh, wives their duties, husbands their duties, 
522 to 69. The gospel is to be lifted up. The gospel is to be shown in all the world, not only by our speech, but also by our conduct. Now, we know that the gospel is a message. And what is that message? It's a message that you are a sinner. God hates sinners. He hates sin. He hates sinners. He has said that the wages of sin is death. He is a holy God. Uh, he is light, dwelling in an unapproachable light. No darkness is in him. Yet this message also grants that God is merciful. We will see, we will see this in the afternoon sermon. And that God, because he's merciful and loving, he gives his well-beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes and lives the perfect life that you and I cannot live. We who are wretches, we who are sinners, dead in our trespasses, as we saw in chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. Jesus Christ comes and lives that perfect life that we could not live. He obeys the law of God perfectly. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, dies the death of sinners, because the wages of sin is death. Jesus takes that death upon himself. God makes him who knew no sin to become sin. So that we in him might become the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel message that we have. And that's the gospel message that we proclaim to the sinners. And we tell people, come now you sinners who are heavy laden. And Jesus will give you rest. We proclaim it to them. We tell them, come to Christ, bend your knee to Him, re repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now that gospel that we proclaim with our lips, the context that we have heard from Ephesians 5.22 to 6.9 demands that we leave it out. That we live in accordance to the gospel. That we live, as it says in chapter 4 verse 1, in a manner that is worthy of this calling, this gospel that we have received. And that's why then the wives are told, submit to your husbands. Now see, see, see here that the, wives, the husbands are told, love your wives. The children are told, obey your parents. The parents are told, do not provoke your children. The bond servants are told, obey your earthly masters. And the masters are told, do not threaten your servants, but rather live with them Render service to them with a good will. See that this, this way, that these groups of people should live, this, this kind of life has direct implications on the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to remind you again that these this groups of people are told to do their duties as to the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the center of all the duties that God requires you. If you're a wife here, it is because of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're told submit to your husband. If you're a husband, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're told to love your wife. If you're a child, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're told to obey your parents. If you're a parent, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're told to Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Same for the servants, the slaves. Same for the masters. Uh, without tiring, look with me at Ephesians 5.22. says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to what? As to the Lord. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives 
as who? As Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. In what? In the Lord. Fathers, bring the, the children up in the discipline and the instruction of who? Of who? Of the Lord. Born servants, obey your earthly masters as you would who? As you would Christ. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their who? Their master. And yours is in heaven. The Lord Jesus is at the center of all these commands. All the duties that God requires of you have direct implications on the gospel. It is because of the gospel that has been given us that the apostle says, now live in light of this gospel like this. And that's what we have there in, uh, from chapter, chapters 4 through to 6. We are told how to conduct ourselves in light of the gospel that we have heard from chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. So that it's not the other way around. The apostle does not begin by saying, do this, don't do this, walk like this, don't walk like... No, he doesn't begin like that. He lays a solid foundation, the foundation of the gospel. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, he has saved you now. And because of that, live like, like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he begins. Therefore, in light of this, because I'm a prisoner of the Lord, I'm requesting you, I am urging you, I am beseeching you and commanding you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. This is what the masters are told to do here. Let me finish by asking you a question that I'd like you to meditate upon. You have these groups of people that are given here. The wives, husbands, children, parents, servants, and masters. You fit in some of them, if not all of them. How are you following the Lord? How are you obeying your master who is in heaven? Are you, are you sure that you, you want to stand before him and give an account for how you live your day-to-day -day life? Are you sure that you're living for him? Because of all that you're facing and going through and experiencing in your life, are you carrying yourself in a manner that shows, I am a Christian? I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and I live the way I live as to my Lord. If I am a wife, I submit to my husband as to the Lord. If I am a husband, I love my wife the way Christ, the Lord, loved his church. If I am a child, I obey my parents as to the Lord. If I am a parent, I bring my children up in the Lord. I require them to obey me in the Lord. If I am a born servant, I serve my master as serving the Lord. And if I am a master, I am following the Lord in the way that I am living.
with my servants. You see, brethren, we don't want just to hear these things. Who knows when else we will talk to the wives directly the way we have. Who knows when we will talk directly to the husbands the way we have now. Or the children, or the parents, or the bond servants or the masters. This word of God has been given us directly, like this, purposefully, that it may help you. That you may know how to conduct yourself. Who knows when you will hear a message that directly speaks to your situation. You wife, you husband, you child, you parent, you servant, you master. Who knows? Because of that then you want to meditate upon these things. You want to think, up, you want to think about them. And you want to conform your life to the will of God given in these texts. For the glory of God and for the good of your soul. May the Lord bless you with these things. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you that you are watching over all our actions. Whether we are wives or husbands or, or children or parents or bond servants or masters, you are watching over, over all our conduct. We thank you that there is no partiality with you, that you will save all wives Husbands, children, parents, bond servants, masters. You will save all and you will judge all rightly. We pray that these truths may be implanted in our hearts, that we may carry ourselves accordingly. We pray, Lord, that you may be glorified in the midst of your people. May we not just be hearers, these things but doers of the same be it that you bring us to a place where we become masters may we be willing to submit to your will and to your law as, as is given to us here oh lord we pray that your commandments may not be burdensome to us but that because you have saved us by your grace freely we may be joyful in the execution of that which you require of us. Help us, Lord. Uh, break down the rebel uh, walls of our hearts, the Jericho walls of our hearts. We pray that you may bring them down. We pray that you may bring down the Babel uh, that is raised up in our hearts that refuses to submit to you. We pray that your word may change us to shape and fashion us in your likeness. Lead us in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.